You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's Something to Talk About, we are focusing on last week's message called Cry to Him. And uh, Jesus goes through several parables in this uh, section of Luke. But basically, the, the underlying theme here is how we can approach God. And really, it starts with just humbling yourself and falling on your face and realizing that you have nothing and are nothing without him. Uh, So we get into a deeper discussion of that here. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. Good morning. Good morning. We are in Luke chapter 18 and I'm quite, uh, quite excited to get into this because I unfortunately wasn't here on Sunday. So uh, I did listen to the live stream sermon, which you should listen to if you haven't yet. Um, but I'm excited to get into this uh, a little more. So, are you? <laughs> I, I am. I, I uh, tried to uh, get a 55-minute sermon that I felt could have been, you know, an easy two hours. So well, you can get a half hour. Kind of, kind of packed it in there. So there are a number of things that we really didn't get to develop as well as I might have liked to. But hopefully the point of the passage came across and a lot of times when we see these um, these individual vignettes in a chapter we we, uh, break them out just as a story by themselves and yet really they're they're grouped together by Luke to to make one story or to make a point so as we kind of package these units of thought together we're we're looking at the parable of the persistent winnow Widow? Winnow. Winnow, yeah. Not minnow. No, none of those things. Um, <laughs> the lady who keeps on begging the judge. That's what it is. And uh, then Jesus tells a, par- a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and showing the contrast in their prayers. I think a, a lot of folks are familiar with that. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. Um, we see a picture of Jesus and the children as uh, the folks are bringing their children to Jesus to have him just touch them and you know connect with them and uh, they're being rebuked and he says bring the kids to me don't don't put them away in contrast to your response to these children everybody who's going to get into the kingdom of heaven has to receive the kingdom like a child Uh, then the story of the rich young ruler who uh, comes and says what do i need to do to inherit eternal life jesus uh I, th- I would say, personally, I would say very gently approaches him and says, well, keep all the law like you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he starts it out by saying, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. To point out to this man, you're not good. And he also identifies himself as God in the process, sort of a, a you know an inference that comes from that. Uh, I think saying it's implicit is a little strong, but but it really is. I mean, he's, that's what he's saying. Anyhow, the <clears throat> the man believes he's basically good. Mm-hmm and wants to do whatever it is to to perform in a way that's going to bring eternal life. And Jesus shows this great contrast between this idea that I'm somehow good and I have something to offer and I've got all these things that make me good, my wealth and my resources, and I can find my strength somehow in in these things, which... Paul, in, in, when he's looking at his own strength, his own resume, so to speak, said, man, now that I see Christ, I consider all of that like dung. That's just, that's garbage. That's a manure pile. I don't want anything to do with that by comparison. All of that is loss. Mm-hmm. Only Christ is gain. And so uh, Jesus says, keep all the law. Well, I, I, 
I've been doing that since I was a kid. Yeah, sure you have. Well, you, there's one more thing that you're missing. Let go of your stuff. Let go of everything. Let go of everything. And, and Jesus has said this repeatedly, right? You, you can't love your family more than me. You need to be ready to take up your cross and suffer and die for me. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not part of this. You're not, you're not worthy of being my disciple. Right. Hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not new. <clears throat> he says it here in this, this overall picture of how we approach the throne of grace. How do we come to God? So we see that in, in the widow's prayer, in the contrast between the parable and the tax collector's prayer. We see it uh, prescribed to us that we need to come like children. We see this uh, idea with, the, um, with the, this rich young ruler that you know, we have to come empty. We can't come thinking we've got it together. We've got something good about us until we are just on our faces recognizing that we're wretches emptied of everything that might make us feel strong or competent or worthy until we're at the end of ourselves, then we can't come. And he contrasts his own, his own life with, uh, with this rich young ruler. Right after he, he tells them this, uh, he points out for himself that he's about to go to the cross. Right. I'm going to go and be mocked and killed, and then I'll rise again on the third day. So it, it, that fits in here as a contrast with this rich person's, this young rich man's uh, perspective of himself and perspective of the kingdom of God. And the disciples also have that same perspective. Well, if he can't get in, who in the world can? And Jesus says, well, the entire concept of salvation is impossible, period, for any of us. But with God, it is possible. Everything's possible with God. So that's the nature of salvation. It's all God, none of you. Come empty. And, and Peter then you know, kind of jumps out there, and whether he's trying to save face or trying to figure it out, he's like, Lord, we've left, all, we've left everything to follow you. Clearly, he's, he's hearing what Jesus says to this rich man. He says, well, you know, sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And Peter says, we did that. Mm -hmm. We didn't have what he's got, but, but we did all of that. And Jesus says in verse 29, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And that, that's really a piece that we didn't get to develop a whole lot on Sunday. But what he's saying is what you're giving up, is, if you give up everything, what you're getting back is more. The, the joy, the, the realization of your purpose, the, the relationship with Christ, even in this life, when you come to this place where you realize what you have as opposed to what you are giving up, you will realize that what you have in Christ is more, many times more, right. than anything that you're giving up. Uh, he's not saying, as some might teach, that you know, as you give up these things for the kingdom, I'm going to give you a bigger house, a nicer car. Right. I'm going to give you a better family. Um, you know, you let go of your your you know loser husband, and you're going to get a better husband. You know, you your kids are taken away, but we're going to give you new, shiny, better kids that that are born potty trained. You know, he's not saying any of those kinds of things. I apologize for this facetious nature of my comments there at the end. But as anyway, as as he's saying this, the whole point is. Just like Paul said, Christ is life, death is gain. All the rest of this stuff that we cling to, that matters so much to us in this life, 
really is nothing in comparison to the glory that is being revealed in us, not just in eternity, but now in this life, as we come to understand and experience the freedom that Christ has already bought for us. When we recognize our true identity as children of the living God, that's bigger. It's, it's right. bigger and it's better. And in the life to come, bang, you got it all. Now you have eternal life. You're, you're, you're going to have so much more than you can even comprehend. And then it wraps up with this picture of desperation in, in this blind beggar who in his desperation cries out. And that's really where we have to be. We can't, until we're desperate, until we're just absolutely hopeless in any other way, then we'll never really understand what it means to find hope in Christ, which was the core reality for our, our whole um, sermon on Sunday. Is we'll find no hope in God until we find no hope but God. If there is anything else, any other place that we can possibly turn, then we won't find the hope in Christ that we need. And, and, and you're less likely to seek it. Say again? You're less likely to seek it out. Absolutely. And, and so with the, with the rich man, that's the point. Right. With the Pharisee, that's the point. With the children, that's the point. Children are utterly dependent. Mm -hmm. They're curious. They're accepting. They're dependent. Um, with this uh, widow and the judge, that's the point. She keeps going back because she's got no place else to turn, and she expects justice. She expects that this judge is going to act on her behalf. So she won't let it go until mm -hmm. he does. So then with this blind beggar who has no dignity left, I, I am completely dependent on everyone else. I have no pride because I'm, I'm living this life that, that nobody would choose. I'm, it's, I'm ashamed of this life. I don't want to be here. But the pride's been stripped away. Any other means of, of hope and salvation is stripped away. And because of that desperation, because he sees no other place, he cries out to Jesus. Until we are desperate like that, then we don't really know what it means to cry to him, to, to pour out our hearts to him, which is one of the key things that we need to understand about suffering. Our suffering is, for us, a shaping thing. For others, it's a testimony thing. But in either case, whether it's for us or for others, it's to drive us to, to the end of ourselves so that we are so desperate that we begin to recognize what we were created to know in the first place back in Eden, that everything hinges on him. He is the center of it all. And our hearts need to be vulnerable and intimate before him with no other hope, no other strength, no shame, no sin, no choosing to do things our way. And until we're desperate, we're just not ever gonna get to that place. So that's kind of the point. And we'll see that again in chapter 19, as we have kind of a summary story, Luke goes from that into this this story that sums up all of that uh, in the story of Zacchaeus, mm -hmm. uh, who is desperate and becomes repentant, and Jesus uh, saves him and then talks about that and, and moves farther on into going toward Jerusalem. So, <clears throat> as we alluded to in our, our uh, little teaser last week, there's a lot here. There is. In one chapter. So, uh, but, it, but it's an all-encompassing... I don't want to say checklist. That seems trite, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's what essentially you need to do to yeah. come to God. So can we break that down a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, if you want to go just story by story here, um, what is what? I, I, I keep coming back to this checklist idea, and I hate checklists. By the way, <laughs> if you know me, I hate checklists. But these different aspects of of 
what we need to do in order to to seek God's grace. Yeah, well, one of the key things that we need to, to get is to understand that until we see it as grace, till we understand that it's something that we don't deserve, can't deserve, and realize that we have a need that can't be met any other way, then we can't even start. Right. That's It's a non-starter until we become, in our own sight, beggars before the king. Until we recognize God for who he is and us for who we are. So that's where you have to start, is at the end of this section. Yeah, really. I mean, that, that's really what it, what it comes to. So you're, you're building this out through this whole section. But the concept, in every way, and, and this is the nature of repentance, and we can't ever separate. I've been seeing a number of things from folks that I would agree with in a lot of areas, but I think sometimes we miss it so much. We portray grace as something that is is only um, it, it's only inside. It's only spiritual. It's only intellectual. We have to see it and, and trust only in our minds and our hearts. But that's just really not the picture that we get. Yes, that. That's mm-hmm. part of it. But if it doesn't affect every part of our lives, then we really don't get faith. Until we're we're just so desperate, so despairing of everything else that there is no place else to be. And we see this throughout the scriptures over and over. Anybody who isn't in that place gets broken down until they are in that place so that they can then come and find wholeness in him. And from from the get-go, we see that over and over and over again, all the patriarchs and all the kings, every time they, they find strength in themselves or in any other thing, Solomon's such a great picture. He's so humble when God gives him wisdom. And then he finds strength in the wisdom. Right. And, and God gives him wealth as a blessing, and he, he finds strength in that wealth. And, and God makes him handsome, and he finds strength in being handsome. And so all of these wonderful, great things become idols. It's it's worthless. It just destroys it all. So until we recognize that he is the king of everything, the creator, the holy God, high and lifted up, and we are in no way, in no way able to approach him without dying. Until we get to that and see ourselves as beggars who have no other place to turn, it's a non-starter. We can't ever even approach him. Our prayers are meaningless. They're hopeless. The the prayer of that Pharisee, according to what Jesus is saying, isn't even heard. You're not justified because of your prayer about how wonderful you are. And you can be doctrinally sound all you want. That's not really getting it until your personal mindset and perspective is like this this, uh, tax collector won't even look up to heaven. Right. Because I'm so wretched. I know I am so messed up. I need all the help, all the therapy I can get, but that won't do it. None of that's going to help. I just need him to heal me, and I need to focus all my attention on him. I think a few weeks ago I had sent you a message that it was after a particular sermon, and I can't remember which one it was, but I said something to the effect of, you know, this makes me feel like a wretch of a human being. And you're like, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. (laughs) Right. I mean, because you kind of have to get there. You have to be there. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just the feeling like like that we're wretched. That's huge. We have to have that, but it's bigger than a feeling because I can feel bad and not change. I have to realize that I actually really am a wretched human being. And, and that's, I think one of the things that we, in our self-help therapeutic approach to the gospel, 
we work so hard to tell people, oh, it's okay, you're good enough. You know, I was listening, my daughter in her uh, dance troupe does this fantastic dance to a song about, you know, you're enough. I don't even remember who did it, but um, and, and it's basically this, you know, empowerment, self esteem, you're enough, you're, you know, uh, all these things that cause you to feel beat down. You're enough, that, you need to be comfortable in that. But the reality is you're not. Right. And until you realize that you're not in any way enough, you never will be. All the idea of self-esteem needs to go out the window because you are dirt. And until we get that, until we start with the lowest, basest, most horrible view of ourselves, we can't even begin to start. And that is such the opposite of like the culture today. Right. Where you're supposed to, you know, like you said, self-help, boost your self-esteem, boost your self-worth, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like yeah. that is... That is today. That is society today. I sent you a, a, a link to a devotional from Andy Minio on mm -hmm. the YouVersion Bible app. And, and one of the first things he says right out of the gate in the first day is, doubt gets a bad rap. Mm. Because doubt is how we come to the knowledge of our faith. If we don't have doubt, if we don't wrestle with these things, if we don't just think, oh my gosh, I got nothing. I, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know if I believe. If we don't get to that place then we can't actually get to the solid point of standing. So all of these stories, so the, the per persistent win widow, winnow, winnow, window, persistent window, some kind of a W <laughs> word. Like a I cartoon. Don't know. You know, as a widow, she has in that, in that culture, she has no means of taking care of herself. She has right. no means of protecting herself against those who are oppressing her, taking advantage of her. And so because of her expectant view that there, there's a certain desperation in what she's doing, she knows she's got no place else to turn, and she expects justice to come, she comes committed. And that's what, what we need to do. We need to come committed to the idea that if I'm going to get help, it's going to be from God. There is nothing else. You know, so often we rely on... on the psychobabble of counsel of counselors and therapists. And I don't mean to say everything is always that, but there's a lot of it. And we turn that. to that. We want human answers. We want medication to fix all of our problems. We want medication to discipline our children. Now, I say that as, as someone who had two children on medication for, for ADHD. I recognize that. There are sometimes needs for these things. Mm -hmm. But when our first answer is always right. human, then we're not getting it. Mm -hmm. When when we see even God's blessing, you know, and oh goodness, I'm, I'm going to go off on a whole other tangent. So I'm going to try to control myself. You know, even in our kids' songs, we 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 talk about how um, <laughs> we were discussing the the lyrics of a song last night at Vacation Bible School, where often I've heard it sung with with the word as, and we want it sung with the word and, which is how they were singing it. I'm thankful for that. Uh, anyway, as, as we're looking at it, we, we sing the, the blessings come down as the prayers go up, as if our prayer is the, the coin in the vending machine, that, ah. that we are the masters of our destiny because when we do these things, then God has to answer. And if I don't get it right, or if God, more specifically, if God doesn't answer my prayers and bless me in the way that I perceive as blessing, then it must be that I'm doing something wrong. That's not the picture that we see it's in Scripture. the dollar coming back out of the... He's kind of straightening it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what we see over and over in Scripture is God blesses when God blesses. Right. And we are still called to pray. And God, in some way that, that we can't fully comprehend, the sovereign God who is omnipotent and omniscient and already knows what's going to happen, has the whole plan mapped out, this same God still calls us to talk to him about it and to ask him to change 
even though God can't change his mind. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery in prayer. Well, I was just going to say, if you're talking about this first parable of the uh, persistent widow, she's essentially coming to this judge with the same issues over and over again. Right. And he hasn't changed his mind yet or hasn't, you know, granted anything yet. Um, so in doing that with God, are we, if we're praying for the same things over and over and over again and, and we feel he's not answering our prayers or not doing it on our timeline, is it right to to keep praying for those same things? Sure. Well, what we're looking at here is this contrast between that judge and God. So he's not right. making that comparison. He's right. not saying if you pester God enough, eventually he'll relent right, right, and right, give in. Right. What he's saying is your father who loves you wants to bless you. Right. So if this judge, who with doesn't, her, right, right. As, as she keeps relentlessly, tenaciously pursuing this, he eventually, you're not going to wear God down. No, <laughs> with, with he you. eventually makes the right decision, does right. the right thing, even though he doesn't have a desire or a motivation to do the right thing. How much more so will your father who wants to, to bless you, who wants mm -hmm. to do this, how much more will he act on behalf of his children? But then he, he wraps up with the question, but when the Son of Man returns, remember he's just coming out of a chapter where he's talking about the coming kingdom and that he will mm -hmm. return. When the Son of Man returns, am I going to find this kind of faith, this sort of persistent, I will not let go faith? And that's really the point is, okay. do you believe enough that you're going to not not let go until mm -hmm. until you get that blessing. And I use the acronym that's been used in, in circles I probably wouldn't hang out in a lot of the time. That, uh, you know, the, the push acronym that we pray until something happens. That's exactly the right thing. Not because your prayer is the, the that's what God's waiting for because God can't move. I've heard that actually taught. God can't move until the saints pray. Garbage. God can, He created the earth, created the universe without anybody praying because nobody existed yet. God does what God does, but he wants us to pray. And prayer is part of the whole process. Again, there's a prayer is one of those things that we try to make simpler than it is. Mm -hmm. not, not, not that it isn't simple on God's end. He gets it. I don't because my brain is small. And there are a lot of things that we complicate that are simple and we simplify that are complicated. So as we look at, at what actually most things are simple and we make them complicated. When we look at prayer, it's it's about this relationship to faith for us. Will we do, and he does know, but will we do what we say we believe? Will we continue to, to hang with it? And it reminds me of the story of Jacob um, as he becomes Israel, wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and, and many, including me, would, would believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Uh, a Christophany, if you will, um, when he's wrestling with God and he won't let go until he receives the blessing. I think there's a reason that God does that. Mm -hmm. It's not that, that this angel, Jesus, God, in, in whichever you view it, whether it's an angel coming on behalf of God, Christ himself as God appearing here, uh, <clears throat> whatever it is, he's wrestling with God and he won't let go. It wasn't that God couldn't get away. <laughs> right. Let's yeah. not let's not fool ourselves. God blesses him because of the tenacious wrestling. Up until then, Jacob had always looked for the easy way out. He's always looking to cut a deal. He, he's the negotiator, and now he's wrestling. 
and he's taking hold of God. And now instead of being the God of Abraham and Isaac, now he becomes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, which means struggled with God or wrestled with God. This kind of prayer reminds me of that, that we keep going and keep going. Now, if, if it becomes clear that what we are praying for is not what we ought be praying for, then, okay, then that's an appropriate time to change, not because we're, you know, think, you know, we're looking at it thinking, well, you know, God must not, you know, want to answer my prayers. But or because if, if you see it as a direct uh, opposite to what somebody else might be praying, well, obviously God is blessing them and he's, he's right. yeah. shooting me down or whatever. It's not a democracy. Right. God's not waiting to see how many people vote for this right. and how many people vote for that. He's not waiting to see, you know, well, if somebody better than Stacy prays for this, then we'll give it to them. But Stacy's the best I got, so I'm going to give it to her. Yeah, that's, that's usually how it goes. That, that, that was your nickname in high school. Yeah. Right? So that, that's... That, There's the best I got, Cozio, coming down the hall. Such a ridiculous concept. But it's so ingrained in us. We've been taught these kinds of things subtly so that we believe them without realizing that we believe them. Yeah. And, and they're detrimental to our relationship with Christ, to our prayer life, to the way we approach God. Bottom line, get to a place where we understand that we are approaching the king as beggars. We come committed. We're not letting go until, until we get done. We come humble, realizing that we don't deserve to be here, unlike this Pharisee. We need to be more like that tax collector. We need to um, <clears throat> make sure I'm paying attention to where I'm going here. Um, we need to... Um, I turned the page way too far. <laughs> Uh, we need to come simple like children. We're, we're, not that we're just blindly following. Children right. Children ask a lot of questions. If they you've do. ever had kids, you get a lot of questions. And a lot of whys. A lot of whys. <laughs> man, oh man. But you know what? They believe you when you tell them why. Do you remember that? you remember um, Animaniacs? Do I remember Animaniacs? There was, you know how they had like little they segments? They in their slacks. So, they you know. do. They're zany to the max. Yeah. But they had this one little cartoon, like they had Pinky in the Brain and things like that. And there was mm -hmm. one, it was a little girl, and the whole spiel was she just said why to mm -hmm. everything. Why, why, yeah. why? And it was funny, right. but also incredibly grating and annoying. Right. But that's what we're supposed Interestingly, to do. <laughs> Interestingly, that's, yeah. We're, so we, as humans, are, are incredibly, incredibly grating and annoying. And annoying. <laughs> but the reality of it is he, he loves us, yeah. and he wants us to come simple, not thinking we're so sophisticated that, you know, we're going to, that, that's been such a big deal for the last century and a half at least, um, you know, from higher criticism to the, the when the church was pushing evolution, uh, because we want, to, we want to feel sophisticated. We want to get on board with what the rest of the world respects as intelligent. Have you seen a NASCAR race? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if we, if we really, you know, if we really want to impress people, if we want to win people to Christ, then we need to be seen as intelligent and worldly wise. Kids don't care about that. Right. And, and we need to come simple in that In that, All of those things are learned behaviors as, as you grow. Thinking you're better than somebody or you're, or you're good enough right. or you're as good or you... The younger you are as a kid, the less you care right. about Even that. things like racism and whatever, that's right. learned. Yeah. And a lot of it's learned from within in, right. our, in our sinful nature that, that we're driving that. But we see those things. But, that's, but the, children don't have that. No, infants for sure don't. Well, right. And then as you grow and develop, the, the more we develop, the more sin we develop right. as well as that seed grows within us. But 
yeah so that's interesting when you when you look at this little passage here within 18 yeah when you watch and and the picture of of how you're supposed to come to christ as children like that and if we do if we if we come simple like that that's the kind of faith that we're dealing with now the older kids get the more doubts they have right right? teenagers are filled with angst and doubt so um we're going to go through those times but we still eventually have to get back to to that simplicity of a child which is something that how many adults yearn for that? You know, we want to mm-hmm. we want to go back to the good old days when things were simple, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly what we're saying here. Come simple. But you really don't. I mean, you might want that, but nobody gives into that. That's true. That that's really true. We we really, in fact, so many of the folks that I end up counseling with, and in even conversations that we've had, uh, it's way simpler than what sure. we want to make it out to be. We have all these thoughts, and. And have you said simple but not easy? That's <laughs> huge, right? Yeah, it's it's difficult, yeah. it's hard, it's not complicated. Right. And so <laughs> a number of people have said, well, you just keep saying the same things. Yeah, because those are the true things. When, when we say just trust God, it really is that simple. Now, we can walk through what that means as we go through it, but it really comes down to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He'll make your path straight. But, 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 no, there's no buts. It's God, period. God said it. I do it, period. And here again is a picture of that. Yes. It's not, you know, the funny thing is you say you're saying the same things, but it's really not anything new. Well, that's right. You know, that's why you it's know, just I, kind of a, a exclamation point on what's already been. I often say, as a preacher, I have the easiest job in the world. It's all written down. Well, that's true. I just gotta I gotta read it and tell you what it says. I don't have to make stuff up. Right. And and woe to me if ever I do. That's one of the things that we have to really watch out for. When people have novel teachings, if some new understanding is just an old heresy, that, that's all we're mm-hmm. looking at is twisting. Yeah, scriptures. nothing is really new. It Even the stuff that be. people are trying to make we're, new, it's not new. <laughs> right. We're talking about eternal truths. Right. These were true before the Bible existed. Before the world existed, these truths were already true in the nature of God. And now they're being played out in history. And we need to recognize and get on board with that reality, not try to create something else. And... and so, you know, we see the widow come committed. We see the, the tax collector, excuse me, uh, the tax collector come humble. We see the children come simple. We see the, the, rich, uh, the rich young ruler who is incapable, it seems, of being able to come empty. He's got all this stuff, and he can't receive what God has for him because his hands are full of his own stuff. And, and it's not just money. We talked about that previously when we were talking about resources. It's everything. It's everything that we hold on to in this life as something that, that gives us strength or support other than God. It all becomes idols when we do that. And we need to be aware of it. So we need to come empty. And, and, and we sang uh, this song, Majesty, Here I Am, this old uh, delirious song from, from the 90s. And we sang that Sunday. Oh, I missed a 90s song. <laughs> yeah, missed a 90s song. Uh, Sheet. And one of my favorite lines in that is, you know, empty-handed but alive in your hands. That's how we come to God. And, and when we fall on Him, because we are desperate, that's how we come. And that's, that's what we see in that beggar is you have to come desperate. You have to come recognizing, I have no hope. And until we get to a place of despair, we don't find hope, which is the whole point of the entire chapter, that we'll find no hope in God until we find no hope but God. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So we will end there and uh, we'll get into Luke chapter 19 uh, next time. Thanks for listening.